And so I'm here and uh, I'm going to be messy today. You're like, well, what's new? Right. But you know why this week at least why I'm going to be messy today. Um, but I think I'm, I'm a mix. Um, I'm a mix of a lot of things this morning. I'm a mix of hope and sadness and um, a crying out for my friends who have lost such a dear loved one. And, and yet a joy that I know that she's longed to see the Lord. For so long and she sees him and so it's just a it's a mix. It's a mix of emotion. It's a mix of hope and sadness and just well here we are. Right. <laughs> so here we are and Jesus is present and he's still good even in the middle of it. And so um, with all that being said we're going to keep talking about Jesus kingdom today. And uh, we've been we've been talking a little bit about it in here in 1030. I've been talking about it over there in the fellowship hall for a long time. But um, I only have two weeks left to talk about the kingdom before we get into a series starting in the book of Mark, which I'm really excited about. Because if you didn't know, we have three worship services and all three services in that in that uh, series on Mark are going to be all in the same passage every week. And I'm really excited about that because this is a season where we need to all be in the same stuff. And so I'm stoked to see what God does with that. Um, but before that, leading up to that, we got this week, next week, 100 year celebration, which is going to be something amazing, something different. Hope you're here for that. And then one more. And then we're we're on the Mark study. And I'm not going to be here for that last one. You're like, well, that's dot two. That's three, Brian. I can count sort of. Um, But I have, you have two left with me until we start the, the series on Mark. So I'm trying to, and this is, this is, this is me, okay? I'm trying to cram. I'm like, man, I want, I want to talk about, there's so many more things that I want to talk about, about Jesus' kingdom, about his way of life, about his culture, about the kind of life that he died and resurrected for us to have. There's so much more here. So last night I'm, I'm like thinking about this and praying about this and thinking about Norma and I'm like, okay, could I just come and read all of Matthew to them? How long could I force them to stay? <laughs> like, could I just, I just want, I just, can you just, I'm, nah, take this. Like, that's what I want to do this morning, but I can't. And so, um, I'm going to, and I can't even do that with one passage. I can't do in one day either, if you know me very well. And so we're going to try and finish one little passage today about the kingdom. Um, and I think. It's appropriate, and I pray that the Lord speaks through it. And we're in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. So here we go. This is Jesus talking, and he's finishing the greatest teaching of all time. And he says this. Therefore, everyone, ever say everyone. Yeah, I'm two words in. And I'm already stopping there. Everyone. I love this is what we talked about a little bit last week. But everyone, it, Jesus invitation is not to a specific race or a specific kingdom of the world or a specific group of people who speak a certain language. It is to everyone. Oh, you guys are so great. But you're so quiet. It's to everyone. Everybody, everyone, right? It doesn't, I don't care what your economic status is. I don't care, like, if you walked in here, if you rolled in here, if you, if you crawled in here. I don't, I don't care what, what, 
what your background is, where your family comes from. I, none of that with Jesus in play matters. And it's so good about what the kingdom of God is. It's everyone's welcome. Everyone has value. Everyone matters. Everyone has infinite worth. Everybody say everyone. Oh, man, you, you just you read the Gospels and you can't miss it. You kiss everywhere. It's who he is. It's who he is. Religious, not religious. Really uptight, really loosey-goosey. Doesn't matter. You know, big ones, small ones. Doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everyone's invited to the table of Jesus. So good. So everyone. So he says, therefore, everyone. And then he says this. Who hears these words of mine? Who hears? So who are we talking about here? Who's Jesus kind of getting at in this little, this little, uh, this image that he paints for us today? He's talking about us. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about those who have heard. That's who he's talking about today. He's going to talk about two builders. Two builders who have heard the message of Jesus. So that's Christians. It's Christians. It's us. And so he says, those who hear these words of mine. Now, these words of mine. Now, and here's where I just wanted to read all of Matthew to you. So I'm going to kind of do that through my own words right now. And we don't have time and I'm doing it anyway. So here we go. He's talking about his sermon. He's talking about his teaching. The Sermon on the Mount that he just got done expressing. And the Sermon on the Mount is fundamentally, basically, what it looks like to live in Jesus' kingdom. What life could be like. Life that we never thought possible. Oh man, it's a good life. And he starts out with stuff like this. He starts out with, so you, you know we, we struggle with anger and that leads to murder. You guys, you guys noticed that yet? There's a little bit of anger in the world, right? There's a little bit of anger in me, maybe a little bit in you. you, you and we get stuck in it. We get stuck in our own anger and our own fears and how we're trying to just, ah, we get stuck there. But Jesus is saying, check this out. In my kingdom, you don't have to get stuck there. Anger doesn't have to be your identity. For some of us, we think, oh, that's just my personality. But for Jesus, Jesus is like, man, you don't have to be stuck there. Where every time something goes wrong, an explosion of anger comes out of you. Every time somebody mistreats you, an explosion of anger comes out of you. Jesus is like, no, man, that's not what life has to be like. You can be set free from that. And then I, what, the other thing that I love about Jesus is that, and my shoe's untied and I have to tie it or I'm going to trip and fall. So just talk amongst yourselves. Okay, you're done. What I love about Jesus is that he gives us a first step. He doesn't just say, hey, stop it. Yeah, have you ever met somebody who's just like, well, what? just stop it. You're like, well, I, I get I kind of don't want to do this, but I need a little help here. Jesus, each time, is offering a first step. And you know the first step that he gives to getting set free from anger is? He's like, hey, when you come to church, when you come to church and you're worshiping and you're raising your hands... And you're doing your thing and you remember, you realize that somebody else in your life has something against you, like somebody else is mad at you. You stop what you're doing right there. Leave the service. Leave there. Just leave. I don't care if the pastor's talking and it's going to be rude. doesn't matter. Just leave and go and try and be reconciled to your friend. Go and try and make things right. It's like a beautiful first step. It's, it's us humbling ourselves. It's us confessing. It's us... It's him, it's Jesus getting into the, our insides and breaking down those things that allow us to hold on to that anger and that contempt. Right? 
It's, it's, it's instead of imagining ways where we can be angry at people and ways that they've hurt us, it's imagining ways that we can be generous. It's imagining ways that we can confess. It's imagining ways that we can make relationships right and good and whole again. We start using our imagination for something totally different. And then he starts talking about other stuff. Oh, man, I'm going to start meddling today. It starts about other stuff like lust. He's, he's like, you know, you've heard you shouldn't commit adultery. And everybody's like, yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. It's a good thing we shouldn't commit adultery. And Jesus starts meddling with our lives, our secret lives. Like, yeah, but, but what about this lust stuff? And Jesus is basically saying, dude, you don't have to be stuck in lust anymore. That was a good place for an amen. Because this is really good news. I'm not kidding. This is the best news for my life. Because lust had me all twisted up and broken and in despair and shame and self-hatred. And I was treating other people like objects. Like Like they exist only for my desire. And Jesus, over time, set me free from that. This is like amazing news. This is incredible that we're not stuck. That when we, we live into this kingdom of Jesus, we change from the inside out. So he's like, okay, so first step, first step, first step to getting free from lust. He's like, yeah, cut out the stuff in your life. Cut out the stuff in your life that encourages you and enables you. To treat people like objects. Oh yeah, cut it out. You're looking at porn on this thing, cut it out. And it's like, what? I can't cut this out of my life. This is, there's like gravity to it. Like you're like, I'm going to take a break from it. No, I'm not. (laughs) Jesus, I'm not looking at it during the service today. Oh, the Cardinals are losing. Surprise, surprise. Hmm. Right, and it feels like we'd literally be losing a limb to let go of our smartphones, to have a dumb phone instead. Right? And yet, (laughs) well, (laughs) if you have a dumb phone and it's not, has anything to do with Jesus, you can join us with smartphones. It's okay. (laughs) We can help you with that. But if, you, if your smartphone is enabling you to treat people like objects and encouraging you to it, Jesus, it feels like you'd be cutting off an arm or a leg or a hand to let go of your smartphone. And that's exactly what Jesus says there. He says, if, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to get to heaven with one hand than to be a son of hell with two hands. I mean, it's the first step, like. Password your computer. Let somebody else be in charge of it. Get a dumb phone. I love how practical Jesus is. I love how it's not just like, stop it. But it's like, no, here, let me help you. First step. You don't have to be stuck anymore. I love that about Jesus. And then he starts talking about other stuff. I mean, he talks about a whole lot. And I want to talk about all of it today. But I need to stop soon. But I'm not going to right now. He talks about oaths. And you're like, what does an oath have to do for me today? Well, in Jesus' day, people would make oaths so that they could only, they would only have to tell the truth when it benefited them. And then they wouldn't have to tell the truth when it didn't benefit them. So Jesus is like, hey man, in my kingdom, did you know this? Did you know that in Jesus' kingdom, you can actually be set free from lying? 
You can actually be and live a life of integrity where you're not a different person at school or at work or at home. You're the same person no matter who's around everywhere you go. You know what happened to me when I got set free from lying? Man, my life became so easy. I mean, I had so much anxiety. Who did I say this to and who did I say that to and who and and man, and you know what Jesus first step is with that? Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. First step, just answer simple questions with really simple honesty and watch what Jesus does with that simple, simple faith. Man, watch like, man, do you know this band? I mean, yeah, I know that band. You have no clue who that band is. Hey, have you heard of that book? Da, da, da. I mean, yes, I have heard of that book. It actually is very insightful. You have no idea what book that person's talking. Just say no. You haven't read it. You haven't heard it. Just say no, Jesus says. Just start somewhere. And in the middle of that, Jesus begins to change you from the inside out. Just first step kind of stuff. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It's so right. And then he, and then he keeps talking. He's talking about, he talks about, You've heard that it was said eye for an eye, which is basically just you do this to me and I'm going to do that to you. You talk bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about you. Oh, yeah. You lie about me, I'm going to lie about you. Yeah, you mistreat me in front of our boss. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to mistreat you in front of all the other employees. Yeah, we have this friend group. Yeah. Oh, you didn't invite me. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm not inviting you next week. Yeah, that's what we do. And you know what that does? It only perpetuates and continues the cycles of evil in this world. It only makes this world worse. <laughs> what happens when we do that in our families? What happens? It only gets worse. Fighting evil with evil only equals more evil. <laughs> and so Jesus says, man, that's not working. We all know it's not working. So let's try something else. <laughs> let's try something else. Let's be generous even in the face of of personal evil, even in the face of somebody wronging us. So like somebody insults you, well, I'm going to insult them back. No, it's not hit back harder. Somebody hits me, I hit them back harder. No, Jesus is like, man, turn the other cheek. What does that mean? That means, oh, that's pretty funny. Somebody insults you, you're quiet. You don't need to defend. Why? Because Jesus loves you. You don't need to like somehow defend your honor or your character because Jesus has already proven that you matter. And so we find ourselves being generous, shockingly generous when people are trying to take advantage of us. That's the first step that Jesus gets at. You know, eye for an eye, evil for evil. And he's like, no, man, be shockingly generous. First step. Your spouse is, is, you feel like your spouse has mistreated you and isn't doing what you think they should do for you. So why should you do that for them? Well, what do you do? Do it anyways. <laughs> Wash the dishes again anyways. Well, yeah. Well, why? Because you're the woman of the house or because you're the man of the house or because... No, because of Jesus. <laughs> because you're living into a totally different way of doing life that the structures and systems that are broken in this world would not continue through us. <sighs> oh, man, that's a get-to. <laughs> Oh, it's a get to. And then he says, and I, I just got to keep going. Then he's like, love your enemies. And we're like, what? Love your who? No way, man. I'm not going to love my enemies. The, you know, those problem people. Hmm. It's real quiet in here this morning. Y'all are really tired. 
or I'm really meddling right now. <laughs> you know, those problem people, those people that you see coming, and you're like, Ugh. oh, yeah, we all have those people. Jesus is like, those are the people you pray for. Those are the people. Step one for Jesus, loving your enemies. Pray blessings over them. Everything that you would pray for yourself, pray for them. We become something over time altogether different. Someone who carries this life that doesn't exist anywhere else. And it's the life of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, <laughs> now we haven't even finished the sentence yet, but we're back to our scripture this morning. So now Jesus is saying basically this. He's saying, oh, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and those are the words that he's talking about. And there's so much more there that I don't have time for this morning. I wish I did. And puts them into practice. He ever noticed that you can show up at church and be like, amen, brother, and walk out and have no idea what was just happening? I've done that a thousand times. But you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm a pastor who's done that a thousand times. I've taught stuff, and this is going to, I know, this is going to shock you. No, it isn't. But I've taught stuff and then gone out and not lived it myself. <laughs> yeah! Because I'm just like you. <laughs> I'm a human being, too. Right? We, we, can, we can come and so be like, yeah, and, and Jesus, and yeah, stopping the cycles of evil. Woo, Jesus is awesome. And then somebody insults us. Woo. How dare you? How dare you? And it's like, wait, what? Wait. But what Jesus is saying here, he's talking about the person, right, who doesn't just hear it, but who's practicing it. And this isn't like legalism. This isn't like, oh, I don't, I don't. What, what is it that I grew up on in the Nazarene church? It's something like this. It's like, I don't drink, smoke or chew, and I don't date girls that do. Right? This is what we're talking about here. We're talking about a way of life, even though that's probably good advice. We're talking about, we're talking about, I don't want to kiss anybody who's been chewing. I'm sorry. I just don't. We're talking about... We're talking about a way of life that, that, that changes who we are from the inside and that expresses itself out here. So we're talking about practicing that. This isn't like perfecting it. This is practicing it. So this is, this is like, man, I'm saying like a lot today. Jesus help me. I hate it when I do that. This is leaning into the teachings of Jesus. This is leaning into it. This is not, I'm perfect now, and I'm never going to make another mistake, and this is why Jesus loves me, because I'm so perfect. No. No. This is leaning in and chewing on it, and going back to it, and reading again, and meeting with mentors. Meeting with people who walk with Jesus in deeper and greater ways than you do. I don't care how old you are, we need that. This is saying, man, how do I, how do I get this Jesus way of life into my, into my parenting? Man, I gotta go meet with other parents who are trying to do the same. How, how do I get this into, like, how do I live this way of Jesus where I don't fight evil with evil at school? When all you see at school is evil for evil. You punch me, I'm gonna punch you back harder. You don't think we don't know that's going on? That's what, that's how it was when we were in school. Nothing's changed. So how do I live into something else? Man, I'm hanging out with Pastor Colin. I'm meeting with others. I'm like talking to sponsors. I'm talking to my parents. Like, how do I? I'm chewing on it. I'm digging in it. How do I bless others who are cursing me? What the heck does that look like? And I'm just leaning in, man. I'm leaning in and I don't let go. 
That's what it looks like to practice. It's not perfection. It's practice. It's, oh, I got to, oh, man, I, oh, man, the situation came up. Oh, what did Jesus say? It's where life is. I got to get it in here. Therefore, those, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You know what's interesting about this? Is that to build your house on a firm foundation in sandy areas... Areas typically near water where floods could come. In sandy areas, you have to dig. And digging in sandy areas is different than digging anywhere else. Y'all ever gone to the beach and dug a hole? Put your friend in it. Put yourself in it and then your friends leave. (laughs) Right? Have you ever done that? You dig. What happens? Yeah, you know what is? Two-thirds of what you just took out feels like it falls in. It falls back in. Digging in sand is the worst thing ever. It's so hard. It's like... Right? You didn't know you were going to hear that today, did you? It's just... the. It's so frustrating. And it takes forever. And it takes a long time. And it takes all your energy and all your no-quit desire it takes all your tenacity and it it takes that it takes that to really dig down to the rock that's under the sand and that is exactly what jesus is getting at here you don't just try one time to lean into jesus and think why didn't it get better it's it's man i'm trying oh man i screwed that up again Confess. It's. But you're digging to the rock. And when the storm comes, you're going to be glad you did. Because Jesus' teachings are really clear about this, y'all. They're really clear. He did not come to keep the storms from happening to you. There is no promise in Scripture that is made along those lines. And we get that twisted. We think, I'm following God, why is that storm happening in my life? Why did cancer come? Why did, why did, why did? And we blame God for it, but that was never promised. It was never promised. You know what was promised? That he would never leave you or forsake you. You know what was promised? That life would be found even in the midst of death. You know what was promised? Exactly what happened to Norma Runyon was promised and was fulfilled in her life. She dug for years to build her life on Jesus for years. And she's not perfect. She was not the perfect mom. She's not the perfect wife. And yet she kept digging and she kept digging. And when the storm of cancer came, you know what happened? Her house, the house of her life did not fall. I saw her minister to me even as she was bedridden. And in pain, where does that come from? That comes from building your house, the house of your life, your very identity on the rock of Jesus. 
That's where it comes from. I remember stopping by their house, stopping by their house and 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 they didn't expect me. And it was right. It was right after Norma started not being able to get out of bed. This was some months ago. And I walked in on her and she was crying. And my first thought is, oh, she's crying. Because she's in so much pain and it's not fair. That's why I'm crying. But you know what she told me? She's crying tears of joy. Because she had just been in her devotions. And Jesus had just promised her that he was going to take care of her kids. And even there, she's still digging. And building her life on Jesus. And even there, she found peace. And she prayed over me and she ministered to me. How's that happen, Jesus? That don't happen with any other way of life. I've been around a lot of dying people. And I've only seen it with people who have built their life on Jesus. She was still digging. Yeah, the storm came. But it didn't break her faith, her identity, her love. It didn't break who she is. Make no mistake, it was painful. It's hard, all of it. But it didn't break her. In a sense, those of us who build the lives, the, the house of our lives, our families on Jesus himself and on his teachings... In a sense, we become unbreakable, not because the storms don't come, but because even in the midst of the storms, our identity is found in the love and the grace of Jesus. And that never changes. But we keep reading because Jesus has more stuff to say about this. And then he says this. But everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. But everyone. So this is back to the everyone. But everyone who hears Everybody say, who hears? So who is this talking about? Let's talk about more Christians. Mm, That's us. Right? I've heard this taught that Jesus here is talking about those outside of the church versus those in the church. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Christians and Christians. We're talking about us. And if you're not a Christian here today, I'm so stoked that you're here. I want you to hear about Jesus. I want to talk to you about Jesus like it's amazing. But for those of us, for those of you who are Christians today, he's talking about us. And then he says this. This is still us. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Remember how we talked about how easy it is to come to church and to agree and yet not lean in day in and day out stuff. How do I know that? Because that's me. How do I know that? Because I know some of you. It's us. Sometimes it's us. It says, here's these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And this is I love this and I can't move that. So I'm just gonna have to make this work. I love this picture that Jesus uses because I am so bad at remembering details. I'm so good at pictures. Suck at details. So I'm really great. I'm really grateful for Jesus because he uses a lot of word pictures. So here we go. Picture this. There's two men on near the beach, near the water, building houses. 
One guy over here is building his house on sand. He doesn't, he's not digging down. He's not doing none of that. The other guy over here is digging down to build his house on the rock. And he's just digging. So what happens to that man over there? Well, over here, this guy's done way faster than the guy over there, right? Because he doesn't have to dig. He just moves some dirt a little bit, squares it off, and starts building his house. And all the while, the man over here is watching the walls go up. Another wall goes up. Roof. And before you know it, this guy is watching that guy over here sitting in front of his big screen with a window just so that guy can see him do it. Sitting in front of his fifth screen, watching his favorite football team on a Sunday, drinking his pina colada and being like, dude, why are you still digging? It's not even worth it. My house is just fine. Everything's great. Right? What's the big deal? Digging isn't that important. I mean, look at my house. Look at everything that I have, man. Look at this. This is this is unbelievable. You don't have to do what you're doing. Just stop. It's too hard. It won't matter. And what is this man here over here? Some of you are in this space right now. You're in this space where your comparison has settled into your life. By the way, comparison is not in the kingdom of God. Comparison is settled in and it's like, how come I have to do this, Jesus, and that Christian doesn't? How come I have to go to counseling and that Christian doesn't? How come I got the family I got and that Christian didn't? How come I, how come, this is too, why? Why can't I just have a house like that? And all the while the person over here is like, yes, for real. Why are you doing all that other stuff? Why does it matter? Why do your little white lies even matter? Nobody knows. I mean, we, we all tell little white lies. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, we all catch an attitude with people. We all fight hurt with hurt. So what's the big deal anyways? And over here, this person has an opportunity to just keep digging. Man, when I started getting set free from lust, I would go to movies with my Christian friends and my Christian friends would stay and I would leave. And then after the movie, my Christian friends would say, what's wrong with you, man? It's not a big deal. There wasn't even that much in that movie anyway. What's the problem? I'm like, man, I don't know. But I don't want my house to fall down. And in truth, it's already falling down. Because I'm objectifying women and I'm broken and I can't have a healthy relationship and I don't know how to love and nobody's taught me how to love and I want something different, man. So I'm tired of trying to build my house on sand. So I just kept digging and I got made fun of by Christians and I got made fun of. Right. Have you have you have experienced this before? What's the big deal? That's too hard. Jesus, it's not. I mean, it's not really for us. I mean, just be nice. <laughs> but as I kept digging, I found life that I never thought I could have. I never thought I could sit by myself in a room and not be tempted And I have that life now. I never deserve the marriage that I have today. I never deserve that. And yet that's what I have now. And the only thing that I did right, because I did so much wrong 
Even as I dig, the only thing I did right is I kept digging. Kept leaning in on Jesus. Kept asking mentors to help me. Kept asking mentors to say, dude, what do you see in my heart and mind? What emotions are going on in in me? Because I can't see it. Why do I want to do this stuff? Help me out. Where's Jesus? Does he still love me? Because I'm still having to confess and what is happening? And, And I just kept leaning in and kept leaning in and suddenly found myself on a rock. That when cancer came into my own house, my house didn't fall. That's not my strength. I'm not more spiritual than you. That is just... Just digging into Jesus. And that does look better. And that way of life does look better. And they do look like they're, they're having more fun. But I know when the storm comes, their house is not going to stand. It's not going to stand. And that's how Norma lived her life. Not perfect. But just digging. That's how I want to live mine. I don't get why that seems so much easier, God. I don't get why that seems like so much more fun. But I know when a storm comes, I'm going to be real glad I built my life on Jesus. Because the storm's already come and I have more strength than I ever thought was possible. Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was a single lady in her 40s or 50s when... The Nazi regime came into her country and overthrew it and overpowered it. And everybody in that country who didn't agree with the Nazi regime was um, thrown into prison, enslaved, thrown into concentration camps. She, Cory Ten Boom, just a little lady in her 40s and 50s following Jesus, stumbled into leading one of the biggest underground freedom movements in her whole country just by not wanting just by caring for and being gracious with and serving the jews who were trying to flee from nazi germany she's just following jesus so her and her sister and her whole family get arrested they get caught they get arrested and they get thrown into concentration camps and she went through several and the last one that she was in i'm reading this i'm reading it's a book called the hiding place i highly recommend it I'm reading it, and she and her sister are talking about following Jesus in a concentration camp. That they're only there for because they follow Jesus. So they're with each other, like digging in with each other to Jesus' teachings. Reading it to others, smuggling a Bible in so that they can teach others about Jesus even there. And at one point, her sister, and I love Corey's honesty in the book. Corey's always like, man, my sister gets Jesus, and I'm just like struggling along like... Uh, I don't know. I don't know about this. And Corey's sister at one point is like, we, I know what we need to do. I know what we need to do. I know, I know how Jesus' presence can be more evident in the midst of all this death and suffering. We need to give thanks. And Corey's like, uh, what? What are we going to give thanks for? Betsy, what are we going to give thanks for? And Betsy starts naming off all these things. And the last one that she names off is fleas. 
There are fleas everywhere. It's rampant in the camp. They don't care. They don't care for people like their people. They were just objects of the Nazi regime to be used to build things for the Nazis. And so her sister says fleas, and she's like, I'm not saying thank you for fleas. I'm not. That's like pushes me over the edge in the midst of all this death and suffering. No way am I giving thanks for fleas. That's like the last straw. No. Betsy's like, say it anyways. She's like, okay, thank you, Jesus, for fleas. And it's like, this is so dumb. What does this have to do with anything? This seems so small. What does this have to do with anything? Weeks later, those same two ladies, little ladies, quiet ladies, ladies that wouldn't appear on any newspaper's front page, get sent to the same room. And in that room, the guards wouldn't go into it while the people were working. Why? Because of the fleas. And so they were able to minister to the women there who were dying, who had lost everything. The love and the hope of Jesus. Such a small thing. Such a little thing. Yet such an eternal thing. You and I have those every day. Little things. Remember we talked about the mustard seed a few weeks ago? Little things. Little ways to follow that seem like, what's the big deal? Why can't I just do that? And yet, they are a big deal. Little attitudes. Little selfishness. Corey writes also in The Hiding Place, And I'll close with this. Worship team can come forward. She writes that there was one point in that last um, concentration camp that even in the midst of the little things that God and the big things that God was doing there, it got so cold one winter that she didn't know how her and her sister were going to make it. And so she began saving her rations for herself and her sister. And up to that point, she had been sharing them with those who were dying. Those who were the most sick. And she began huddling and fighting her way to the middle of the groups. They would have them march out at 4 a.m., 3 a.m. In the middle of the cold of winter in Germany. With nothing but a little shawl on. They would have them march out just to enforce their will upon them. And then stand for hours in the cold. And she found herself beginning to push others to the edges where the wind was felt. Whereas before she would take... The edges. She would take the wind and she would let others who were more sick huddle in the center. And she found herself beginning to take and beginning to selfishly view even a concentration camp. And I'm reading it and I'm like, what's wrong with that? Right? It seems so small. Like, what what else would you do there? But she writes that her prayer life grew cold and her worship grew cold. And she started losing even, even the interest in talking to others about Jesus there. She didn't even want to read the Bible out loud. And she realized, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon her. Well, it's my selfishness. I stopped digging. I stopped leaning into Jesus' teachings. Oh, that's what's going on here. So you know what Corey did? The next time that that little group was gathered where they talked about Jesus and encouraged each other in all different languages, because there were people from all countries there that the Germans had captured, she confessed 
She confessed and she writes, oh, the joy that came over my life in a concentration camp, in a storm. She writes, oh, the joy, oh, the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And she went right back to digging again. Corey survived that camp. Her sister didn't. She lost her sister there. But Corey went on to be one of the strongest voices, even on behalf of the Germans themselves, for grace and forgiveness. Where's that come from? Building a life on Jesus. Quietly. Confessing quietly. Leaning in again. Just keep digging. Jesus, as we respond today, we can respond by receiving communion today. Don't have to, but If that's how we want to respond, Lord, I pray that you would use it today and that you would remind us of your good and beautiful grace and mercy once again today. That we come not because we've earned it or because we are following some legal obligation to doing the right thing, but we come and we want to lean into you because you are the one who loves. You are the one who longs to bring us true life, life that doesn't fall in the midst of the storm. Jesus, I pray that you would use that, that you would use those who are here to pray over others, that you would use even the altars today to help us respond to your truth. Lord, that we would lay down comparison, that we would lay down, yeah, but what about them? And that we would lean in to who you are and how you love and your good and beautiful way of life that's altogether different. And Jesus, as we come, we come knowing that When we move our bodies forward in whatever way we come, we're saying, Jesus, we need your help to do it because we can't do it without you. We can't keep digging without you. We can't find you without you. (laughs) As weird as that sounds. To help us, oh God, as we respond. Amen.